This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Guys, listen up, okay? I know it's summertime and the temps keep getting hotter, but you know what's not hot? Pit stains. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Sweating through the underarms of your shirt can be downright embarrassing, to be quite honest. But Lawrence Hunt has the perfect solution. Their dress shirts for men are not only really sharp looking, but they actually wick away moisture, leaving you and your armpits dry. But best of all, they're designed here in Detroit. So leave the office, go straight to the ball game without worrying about showing off that hard-earned pit sweat while you cheer for your Tigers. I mean, hey, if our catcher James McCann is rocking them, you should too. Use promo code DSP for 15% off today. Just head over to lhware.com. That's lhware, W-E-A-R.com. Lawrence Hunt Fashion, breathable, sweat-proof performance. What is up, Detroit? It's your host, Jenna Jones of the First Lady Podcast here on Detroit Sports Podcast. And oh my gosh, is it good to get back behind this microphone. So within this hour, we're going to talk about why I think the current Detroit Tigers situation is a cross between a bad season of Big Brother and a kid who needs a freaking nap. We're going to talk about our fun segment called, Oh No, He Didn't. And we're going to talk Pistons with some awesome insiders on some really cool things that are happening here with the organization. But first, I want to give you a little insight as to me. Why do you care? Why are you listening? What the heck is going on? So the bottom line is, I was doing radio out in Phoenix with a Fox Sports affiliate and an ESPN affiliate, had a great time, met some great contacts, and really had a lot of fun co-hosting a show out there. And along the way, it really gave me an insight as to just what local sports needs. And what it needs is not people talking stats and bats and the boring stuff you get on your phone. What we need here in Detroit is a station and a podcast who's willing to go behind the scenes to get the stuff the fans really want to hear, to give the fans a voice to go into those locker rooms, to go on the court sidelines and to say things to these players that need to be said based on things that you're feeling based on things that you're passionate about, and then to give you that voice to come back and have a rebuttal for them. And I want to be that person for you here in Detroit. So I am so grateful that the doc came in and approached me and said, girl, why are you not doing a freaking podcast? So here I am, and I am so ready to dust off the cobwebs here in Detroit and get things going as a Michigan girl. So Enough about me. I want to talk Pistons really quickly because I'm sure you're aware at this point we've had some major, major moves within free agency here in Detroit. Between the signing of Boban Marjanovic, John Lohr, Ish Smith, we've got some major things coming to Detroit, and I just can't get over it. Personally, being a girl who just came back here from Phoenix, I'm out of my mind over how we got somebody as good as Ish Smith, who I would argue, based on the stats and based on what I've seen of him, is one of the, if not the, best backup point guards in the league right now. And we have him here in Detroit, and he is going to be a secret weapon that is going to bring Detroit so much success, and I cannot wait to see that happening. So, John Lohr, let's just break that down real quick. He was talking in the press conference earlier today about, you know, these guys like Ish Smith, like John, who've kind of had a rockier start 
with their NBA careers just because they're signed, they're dropped, they're traded. Ish has gone through it. He went to Orlando. He went to Phoenix. He went to the 76ers. And John's went through the same thing. So when they were talking about being versatile players and what that means to have to come into a team like Detroit and show that you're not just a one-position player, you can go out and play the five. Ish Smith talking about how he's going to play for SVG and their chemistry on the court and off the court is going to come into Detroit. I am so excited to see what these guys are going to bring to the table. So between SVG, Mr. Steve Van Gundy, talking about why the NBA is so successful in that press conference, which is the player personalities bringing the money to this league because we finally have athletes that not only have the talent, but have the personality to go ahead and entertain us on the court is another reason why I am so freaking excited to see Ish Smith. This guy will make you laugh. He'll make you cry. He'll come in and do interviews and just have you rolling, but then have you amped up for the next game. And so to see that passion that he has off the court, on the court, is going to be really exciting. So that's why I have went out to Phoenix the beat writer for the Suns.com, his name is Matt Peterson. He's seen John Lohr play. He's seen Ish Smith play. And he's going to let us know what we can expect here in Detroit from these kind of guys. So once again, this is Matt Peterson, the beat writer for Suns.com. And he's going to go ahead and give us the insight as to what really we can expect from these new prospects that we've got here in Detroit. Starting with John Lohr, I am really interested because I had moved out of the Phoenix area last year just when you guys acquired him. I want to know what kind of strengths and weaknesses we can expect to see from him as a player. Well, John's, John's kind of a deceiving athlete. You know, you look at him and he doesn't come across as kind of a guy who's going to blow you away with a vertical lead test, but he's one of the better finishers that people don't know about if you haven't seen him before. You give him the rock on the run, if he's got a clear lane to the rim, if he can find a silver of daylight, he's going to throw it down. He's going to do it pretty hard. I think he had a, a dunk on DeMarcus Cousins early last year that really caught the, the home local Suns fans off guard. I think Detroit fans are going to kind of have a soft spot for him. He can also shoot from the outside. He's got a really nice touch that can complement whatever pick-and-roll or pick-and-pop game that Detroit and Stan Van Gundy wants to play in. If he runs as big of a pick-and-roll heavy game with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond as he did last year, I think Lure's going to be able to, to find minutes in that scheme just because of how well he can perform no matter where he is on the floor offensively. Defensively, he can rebound really well. He rebounds really well in minutes, even in short time minutes. He's going to get you four scores if you play spot minutes for you in the rotation. He's not going to be the rim protector, but I don't know if you need that with Andre Drummond on the floor. So a lot of things that really mesh well with, with what Detroit has going for you guys. Awesome. And that was something that we kind of got highlighted today during the press conference when they announced him as officially a Pistons player. And I was interested because I didn't realize that he was able to play the five that well. And you're just going ahead and solidifying basically that that is the case for him as a player. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's not a kind of stereotypical center where he's going to be a, a, the enforcer, but he can more than hold his own because he's he's bigger than you think he is. He can leap higher than you think he can. And he rebounds so well. It's a luxury to have a guy like that who not only can do those things but doesn't mind, and Lord doesn't. As long as he's on the floor and able to play as hard as he wants to play, he doesn't care whether he's a four or a five, and he's going to use his versatility in whatever role that Sam Van Gundy wants him to be in. Awesome. So we're going to switch gears just a little bit-ish. Smith, I talked him up big time just a second ago. I think he's one of the most, if not the most, underrated point guards in the league right now. What can you tell me about Ish Smith? 
Well, my, my parents go to one game a year. They're, they're not big sports fans or anything. They don't keep up with the team. They, occasionally, they'll ask me a generic question. But they went to a game uh, during the season when Ish was here. And when they left, my mom asked me, why aren't they starting Ish Smith? I think he's the best player on the team. And it wasn't because he scored 20-something points that night. It was because of his immediate effect on everyone else on the floor. As soon as he enters the game, the energy level of the other four guys on the floor picks up. That's what you're going to get from him is instant energy on both ends of the floor. On defense, that guy is a hound. He's going to play the passing lanes. He's going to pass for the opposing point guard. And when he gets the ball in transition, if you're not running with Ish Smith, it, it kind of makes you look lazy by comparison. It's just obvious that Ish is trying to, to play the game as fast and with as much effort as possible. And if you don't do that, Dan Van Gundy's going to know right away because Ish Smith will be his on-court barometer for speed and effort. And it's just kind of contagious to watch. And that was something that was so interesting to me. I was lucky enough when I was in Phoenix to have him on almost weekly with our show, especially during the season, to be able to come on and just really break down what goes through his head. And I was floored every time to not only see his speed physically on the court, but mentally, this guy is so sharp. And the way that he sets up these plays just blows my mind every single time. So that's kind of going to lead into my next question with Marcus Morris, who is additionally on our Pistons now, but had the chance to play with with Ish Smith on the Suns, and they were friends off the court. But I want to know what kind of chemistry you think they're going to bring back to Detroit. Boy, playing together before is going to help them. You know, they played together off the bench quite frequently when they were in Phoenix together. And Ish has a way of seeing guys with passing angles that a lot of other point guards, even starting quality point guards, don't see. He's the kind of guy where if you're playing pickup ball with him, you want to be on his team because you know you're going to get easy buckets and everyone's level of play just lifts from being on a court with a guy who thrives finding other guys on his team. Marcus Morris, one of the things that you can say well about him is that he's a role player who never tries to, to go outside of his role. He will try and make his impact on the game, but he's never tried to be more than what he is, and that is a really solid scoring threat in the front court who can do a little bit of other things too. It's hard to find guys who are willing to accept roles, especially when they're so young in their careers. But Marcus has always been low-key about that, and he doesn't mind doing that. And it, it can only help when you play a guy who's as fun to play with as a Schmidt. Absolutely. So before we get you out of here, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Where can people go find your stuff online and follow you on social media? Oh, it's, it's kind of simple. You go to sums.com. Uh, it's it's you know like every NBA team, there's a lot of stuff going on. The Suns just re-signed Jared Dudley today, a name certainly familiar in NBA circles. Plus, we've been doing a lot of summer league stuff. I know it's a big deal for you Pistons people over there in Detroit. You've got a lot to be excited about with your summer league team. Uh, Suns.com is where you'll find all the the news and videos and other fun stuff we're doing. But social media, I've got one of the worst names in the world, Jenna. I mean, Matt Peterson. You cannot get much more blame than that. So I had to put just the, the word the in front of my name, Matt Peterson. And, if you want to follow me on Twitter, do that. But if you don't, because I sound like a complete narcissist, I wouldn't blame you. So. <laughs> well, I can say personally, one of the better follows I have on my Twitter. So thank you so much for your time, Matt. Really appreciate it. Hey, likewise. Glad you're doing what you're doing in Detroit. Appreciate it, man. Man, I'm so glad we got Matt on the show. He's one of the better writers out in Phoenix, far and away, definitely for the Suns. But it's just interesting to hear how he can take that experience that he had with those guys in Phoenix and then relate it to here in Detroit and what we as fans can really look forward to. And he said it best, and I cannot say enough good things about Ish Smith. I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but to see him on the court is one of the most explosive 
things you'll ever, ever see. I mean, to see a guy like him weave in and out of basketball traffic, if you will, and find the corners and find these little pockets where no one is because he's so fast and beats everybody to the punch, he can get it in. He can pass it to the guy who needs it. It it blows me away every time. And his mental strength to be able to come up with this as well just floors me. But I'm really excited. I know Ish personally at this point. He's a friend of mine. He's agreed to come on the podcast. So in the very near future, you as fans can look forward to getting to know this guy and his personality because let me tell you, he's one in a million. And so between the personality that you're going to grow to love here in Detroit and the enthusiasm you're going to see him bring to that bench is going to be insane. So from here... I'd like to twist it a little bit towards a little bit of Tiger's talk. Not such a happy topic at this point, because as I said, I'd really like to call this Tiger situation, as everybody else, what I'm seeing on social media, a dumpster fire. And that's putting it mildly, to be quite honest with you. I sit there with my old man watching these games or sitting at home drinking a beer watching these games, and I just shake my head and shake my head. And the second I get close to feeling like we've got a little bit of something going for us, we lose momentum again. And so I look at this all-star break coming up, and I just can't help but think, where do we even go from here? We've got the injuries. We've got the illness. We've got Verlander, who obviously has lost some kind of something because he can't perform. Anibal Sanchez, I don't even know where to go with that guy. I mean, to put it mildly, he's a piece of junk out there right now. He can't do anything for the team. And so as a fan, I sit back here and go, what do I have to get excited about? The fact that I can trust my management to turn something around? Because at this point, quite frankly, I don't. To trust that our pitching situation is going to turn around? At this point, quite honestly, I don't. To trust that we can pull somebody up through the league to make trades. There's nothing in the immediate future I can see helping. And there's nothing in the somewhat farther future that I can see helping this team anytime soon. So as a fan, I sit here and go, what needs to change? And I can't help but think of two different analogies here. The first one being this entire team, the entire organization reminds me of A kid, a kid who desperately needs a nap. And you know what I'm talking about, especially if you're a parent or you're around children. When those kids get tired and they get cranky, all they want to do is whine and everything is sorry me, sorry this. And you know they just need to freaking rest. And as soon as they wake up, everything's going to be fine and wonderful again. And you won't have this bratty, little, irresponsible, annoying child. But until they go to sleep... You just got to deal with it. And I feel like that's where we are right now watching this Tigers team is everybody's got an excuse. Everybody doesn't know the answer. I don't know what's going on. I just need to rest. So get us to the freaking all-star break already. I don't know what else to say about it. But when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Chris Brown from TigesTalk.com. And he's going to break down what he thinks of this Tiger situation a little bit deeper. All right, we are joined by Chris Brown, staff writer at Tigstown.com. And we're going to talk about, as I said, this little dumpster fire situation, as I call it here in Detroit. And I'm not sure what he's going to have to say about this sort of thing. But Chris, if I'm being quite frank, as a fan, I'm sitting back here going, what the hell do I have to be excited about? I see these injuries. I see the illnesses. I see the poor management, in my opinion. And I just want to know what you think as a writer, as a fan, what do we have to cling on to hope for at this point? 
Well, yeah, you know, I don't think it's quite quite as bad as you do, although I understand when people, uh, you know, get upset. It's been a really, really strange year for the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, baseball's an up-and-down game as it is, but I can't remember a team that's been as up and as down as this team is, is in the same season. I think, last time I checked, I think they were one of four teams that had uh, seven three-game winning streaks, and, and the other three teams were uh, all division leaders, but then the Tigers also had six three-game losing streaks. So it's just, it's like they can't find any sort of solid middle ground where they're playing okay for a while or slightly above average. But I think there's, I think there's stuff to hold on hope, hope to. I, I, mean, I mean, Michael Fulmer has turned into one of the very best pitchers in all of baseball, which is, uh, you know, I'm a huge prospect guy, and nobody predicted that. They predicted he'd be a, a solid, you know, number three starter, maybe like a Jeremy Bonderman from back in the day, if you remember him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he's he's he came up to the majors and suddenly developed this awesome changeup, which was supposed to be his fourth best pitch. And uh, it's, it's you know it's it's getting to the point where it's sort of must see watch watching when he's on. And I don't know. I mean, the offense has been playing fairly well. They're uh, they're frustrating, just like every other aspect of the team. But uh, I, I don't. Know, I I wouldn't. I certainly don't think it's it's time to fold up shop like they sure. did last year. I mean, they're they're close enough to the wild card to to keep going for it. But I'm not sure they'll be able to catch up to the Indians, particularly with the way they played against the Indians for the most part this year. So then I'll take it that way. Based on what we've done with the Indians, now we're looking at this Toronto Blue Jays series. We took the L last night. What do you think are the predictions on your end of things for the rest of this series? I would be shocked if the Tigers win more than one game in the rest of the series. That, like as you mentioned, you know the, the injuries and the illnesses. I mean, All Star break is coming at an ideal time for this team when you consider they lose. Two of their two members of the starting rotation, and it's you know they're going to be pitching Anibal Sanchez, who who is basically I think on his last legs as a major league pitcher, unfortunately, and, and it's it's amazing to see how quickly it's collapsed for him. And then they're going to be pitching Matt Boyd, who is a solid pitching prospect. He's okay, but he he you know I'd be shocked if he's ever anything more than like a number five starter in the majors. Sure. So and then you know today you got Mike Pelfrey, who's been one of the worst pitchers in in, in baseball this season. So it's. Uh, yeah, it, it's on paper. It looks like they shouldn't win another game in the series, but it's baseball, so you never know. Exactly. You know, sometimes, sometimes somebody has a really bad game, a really good game, and you just don't see it coming. So that said, we've talked about the fact that the injuries are a major issue, and that's the most obvious answer to what I'm about to ask you. What do the Tigers have to have happen to become more successful after the All-Star break? So we know we've got to get guys healthy. But outside of that, what do you think is the solution for this team to come back stronger than they have in weeks? Uh, I think I think they need to, and I don't know how they're going to do this via trade, via the minors, via just somebody getting better, but they need to get better for at least one more starting pitcher and one more relief position. I think the offense has been fine for the most part. They, they're kind of a, a all-or-nothing home run-based offense, but there's so many good hitters in there, and when J.D. Martinez should be coming back in a couple weeks, I, I think the offense will be good enough on most nights to win. The problem is, aside from Fulmer and Verlander and Zimmerman, and even Zimmerman's been kind of hit or miss lately, it's, you, you just don't know what you're going to get from those other starting pitchers. It would just be nice to have somebody who's uh, steady, <laughs> and you, know, you, can, you can trust them to go out there and give you six innings and give up you know, less than four runs. Consistency, absolutely. So, yeah, consistency. Yeah, I mean, that's what you you look for in every baseball player. So you mentioned JD Martinez, and I've heard reports the four to six weeks thing. Lately, I've been hearing it's more towards the tail end of the six weeks. What are you hearing as far as the status of JD Martinez? 
Yeah, I haven't heard anything different than you have. I, I, whenever there's an injury, I tend to just plan for it being the longer, you know, the longer part of the window, just because you never know. You know, Cameron Maben's original diagnosis was like four to six weeks, and he ended up being out for two months. Yeah, it's just in, in particular, you know, an arm or an elbow or anything like that. You, you never know with injuries, and it never hurts to take some extra time. And, and uh, you know, Stephen Moya has been filling in adequately, at least offensively, for uh, J.D. Martinez. His defense has been uh, an adventure. But, yeah, I, I would imagine that it'll be another three or four weeks before we see J.D. JD Martinez again. All right. Well, coming back just a little bit to the post-All-Star break, it was interesting to me, and I know you're going to have an opposing take on this, Myself and a lot of the fans included want to crucify Brad Osmus metaphorically. I mean, there's so many people that are out for this guy's head, and I'm kind of torn. One week I say, okay, no, I see what he's doing, and then, of course, like the next series I'm going, get this guy out of here. What is your take on the current management situation here with the Tigers? Uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of Osmus, but I'm also – I try to – consider myself a little bit more of a, like a realist about the situations. And I think the reality is that as fans, we are at a huge information deficit compared to uh, what the managers have. And and you don't want to like fall into the trap of just saying, well, they're in charge, so they know better. But when we, when we complain about certain moves, like, you know, last night I complained uh, when in the eighth inning, he brought in Alex that of Bruce Rondon or, or uh, Frankie Rodriguez. And then it came out after the game that Bruce Rondon had the flu and was at the hotel. We can complain all we want, but we don't really know what, everything that we're talking about. So I find it difficult to to really kill a manager a lot of the times. I always thought the main thing for a manager is to keep the, the clubhouse in harmony. You know, not have any mutinies, not have any you know players fighting each other, or not anybody talking behind your back. And from all accounts, Osmus has been fine at that, you know, that aside from a little dust-up last year between James McCann and Jose Iglesias, that there's been no real issues reported, and I, I think the, t- the players still believe in him. I think what happens is the manager is just the easiest target for uh, for criticism because it's you know he's replaceable. You Fire can't away. you can't go out there and replace all the players, so you can replace the manager. I think as much of the blame this year for for sort of up and down season goes to Alavila and the front office for some of the moves that they've made. And just bad luck, bad luck in general. Like like we said, with the injuries, with the illnesses, I mean, you can only do so much with what you've got. And yeah, I mean, a lot of times I do give Brad Osmus the credit that I think he deserves, but sometimes I do sit here and go, why are you doing this to us again? So I, I completely understand your side of things. And I think overall, I'm pretty even keeled. I just hope that the fans can kind of get back to a place where we at least have some sort of harmony and understanding that this is not just an organization issue as far as management goes. So Ian Kinsler, I got to talk to you about this really quick because with the All-Star game coming up, this one floored me a little bit when Miguel Cabrera was the only one from our team that was nominated. And so now we're in this position as fans where we can vote him in, hopefully. But why do you think it was that he wasn't voted in to start? Why do you think the fans didn't back him the way that I feel he deserves? You know, I, I, I think part of it is that there's a really, really, it's a really good year for second base talent in the majors this year. So guys like Jose Altuve and Robinson Cano and stuff like that and, and are, are more, you know, are getting more credit. And then uh, the, the Tigers fan base doesn't play nationally as well as, as say, Boston, where Dustin Pedroia was getting tons of votes. And I think, I don't know, I, I feel like after last year and, and the, the, the down year it was, 
fans aren't fully back on board with the Tigers yet. They don't believe in the team. It's like you said, we just mentioned, a lot of people don't think Osmus is any good, and they don't believe in the team. They think that they're going to lose, and I guess they're just not that engaged anymore, All right. uh, which is unfortunate because Kinsler is having a really good year. That's what I was going to ask you. So now now you kind of have a backstory as to why you think they didn't vote. Why should we as fans now go out and vote and push this guy through? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, and I've got a little bit of a different take, I think, than a lot of people. I, I don't really care about the All-Star game at all, sure. and I would prefer that players from the team that I like don't go so they can get that time off. But I, I understand if, if people really want Ian Kinsler to go, I mean, there's no reason not to vote for him because he's – you know he's 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 good offensively. He's good defensively. He's good team leader. He gets on base. He hits for power. It's just uh, he's everything you want in a player. But I don't know. I I would I'd I'd rather have him get a couple days off, have some lemonade, go fishing or whatever, rather than have to travel to San Diego and then come all the way back to Detroit. No, you know what? I'm really glad you played devil's advocate there for me because I, depending on the season, depending on the team, depending on the player, go, I really wish that guy would not go to the All-Star game. So I'm glad that you played that side of the devil's advocate for me and saying, yeah, I'm kind of glad he didn't get voted in after all. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's a long, hard season for these guys. and Any breaks they can get are welcome, I think. And uh, if they can come back refreshed, that's good because, you know, Tigers have to make a really good push the you know, first two or three weeks after the All-Star break if they want to contend. Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. And before I let you get out of here, I want to give you the chance to pimp your stuff. Where can people find you online? Uh, well, yeah, I do write for Tigstown.com, which is part of the Scout Network. You can find stuff on there. I, I focus mostly on Tigers minor league stuff, but I will occasionally write something about the big league teams. And I do a, a podcast. It's, we're kind of on a hiatus right now, but I do a podcast called Bad Hop Radio with my friend Perry, where it's about 75% baseball and like 25% movies because he's a movie reviewer. Um, but you can find that on sportsradiodetroit.com and, uh, and it'll be, we should be back on the air within the next couple of weeks. So awesome. I appreciate having me on. Not a problem. We really appreciate coming on here and go ahead and follow him on Twitter guys as well at Chris Brown, zero nine one four. Thanks a lot, Jenna. Thanks Chris. I really appreciate your time. All right, I am so glad that I got the chance to catch up with Chris Brown, not the singer, the writer here from Tigstown.com, because to be quite honest with you, you heard it. I felt hopeless. I felt aggravated. I don't even want to watch the Tigers games anymore because I know every single time I'm going to walk away throwing my beer at the wall or getting angry about it because when I sit back and I go, I can remember just a couple years ago watching this team cheering my ass off all the way in Phoenix, watching these guys. And now I sit here and dread every single time I've got to turn that TV on and watch this mess in front of me. But he did a really good job of just kind of bringing things back to perspective for me. He was my counselor, if you will, bringing me back to reality that Brad Osmus is not my enemy. These guys are going to be okay. We're going to get healed. We're going to get better. And I'm feeling a little more hopeful here. So when we come back, I'm going to bring on the doc of the Doc and Jock show because I want to talk about Calvin Johnson and what the heck happened on that E60 episode that we all have seen at this point. You're listening to the First Lady Podcast here on Detroit Sports Podcast, and we'll be right back. What's up? Welcome back, everyone. It's Jenna Jones on the First Lady Podcast here on Detroit Sports Podcast. Go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at Detroit Jenna or at First Lady Show. If you want to be a part of the action, we take calls, we take tweets. I want to hear your voice 
as the fans. But who else's voice do I want to hear? Mr. Doc of Doc and Jock Radio. Thank you for joining me. No problem. I'm, I'm fascinated that you're doing this. And when I reached out to you, I knew that you were passionate about sports. And sitting here listening to your first episode, I know you're going to be successful. And uh, I know you're going to be the true first lady of Detroit Sports Podcasting. No doubt about it. I appreciate that. So before the show, you and I were talking a little bit because I wanted to hear your take on what just went down with this E60 episode. And in case anybody didn't hear or see it, basically Calvin Johnson came on to ESPN and did this interview where he broke down his family life. They gave us the whole backstory. And he talked about all of a sudden concussions in the league. He talked about leaving the team early. He talked about the fact that he probably could have stuck around longer in Detroit had we had a winning season, a winning team. So I sat back as a fan watching this and I was a little bit stunned. And I think you were too on a certain level, right? Of course, because, you know, throughout his whole career, Calvin was kind of a silent leader, let his play on the field dictate everything. And now you see him after retirement kind of saying some things that make you go, oh, maybe he shouldn't have said that. Probably dissing the lines a little bit backhandedly and also saying some things about his health that you kind of got some more insight regarding how some players feel about team trainers, how they treat the athletes. And, you know, Calvin Johnson didn't do a lot of talking on the field, but uh, when he retired, he was definitely willing to share some things. It was very interesting to, to check into for sure. No doubt about it. So the thing for me, it's kind of like you, you've you said, it's you put your money where your mouth is. When you had the opportunity to speak up and to be a voice for the team, for the league, if you really felt that passionately, I kind of wanted him to do it when he had the true opportunity, when he could have made a difference. But now, to me, I'm sitting back here as a fan thinking, okay, as a fan, when I hear my once-in-a-lifetime kind of athlete for this franchise, when I hear my star-wide receiver of all time for my team coming on and saying, had we had a little bit more success, I would have probably pushed through those injuries. That pisses me off because as a fan, I want to see him go out, bust ass, make play after play and beat himself bloody because that's what we like about football, right? Exactly. So you're pissed off that he retired. You're pissed off that he kind of didn't do a little bit more in his career. Jen, do you realize that he's got probably the most yards and touchdowns of any wide receiver who never won a playoff game? And I know that you say it's a team game, but... It's just hard as a Lions fan, and I know I think I'm getting the vibe that you're probably you're suffering as much as I am, that you had one of the greatest running backs of all time. He retires at 31. You got one of the greatest top five wide receivers maybe of all time. He leaves in his prime, and what'd you show for it? A whole lot of nothing, and it's just, it's really de- it's devastating, and he comes out and basically, at the end of his career, knowing the way he retired, it's kind of like re-exposing us to hurt feelings yet again. The Lions weren't able to give us success on the field, and now we're being reminded again when a player retires and tells us, hey, we weren't good enough, and hey, I'm willing to walk away. And so as a fan, that pisses me off, but as a human, I have to sit back, and I don't have to, I choose to. I choose to sit back and go, okay, the man has given his body, poured his body out for us as fans to give us the success he did. Concussions, injuries, you name it. He sustained it with his time here in Detroit. So I can respect him enough to say he wants to be able to stick around for the future and be able to walk, be able to talk. Because as we've seen with this new concussion movie and studies that are coming out, I mean, these concussions that players are sustaining have serious long-term effects on these players. So, so should we be a little bit empathetic as fans or do you think we just call him a wussy? Oh, you're kind of taking the thoughts right out of my head. <laughs> and personally, I feel like he's a little bit soft. 
I can't help but say that because he walked away, you know, he walked away in a way that's a little bit, you know, leaves me wanting more. I feel like he could have gave another season. You have a long offseason to recover, but what he did well on the E60 was kind of detail all the injuries that he's had, you know, going through a season, getting your knee drained 12 times, but... You know, and on the other end, look at it like this. To be a football player, you have to have that warrior mentality. Why didn't the Lions win with him? Because I think that he didn't go above and beyond what he needed to do in order to have that success. I think that he was a he was a guy that played football, not exactly a guy that you would characterize as a football player. That's just a different mindset. Now, there's a very thin line. Now I'm not trying to diss him, but there's a very thin line in my opinion between a football player and a guy that plays football. A football player would have did whatever he could. He would have, you know, got his knee drained 40 times, whatever it took to get that ring. And hell, at the time, why not just ask for, you know, why resign with the Lions? It would have been, I would have not been offended if he would have left, got a ring, got a championship. The writing's on the wall. You, you went through the 0-16 season. I wouldn't have been pissed at him if he would have left. I would, I would say as a football player, my number one desire is to win. Do whatever I can to win. And to collect huge money and to walk away like that leads me to feel like he's soft, but... You know, if he walks away and, and he feels like he can have a productive life, I can't hate the man as well. But I just think as a football player, I think he could have did more on the field as a leader. And he could have been a guy that, uh, you know, also, I don't know, do you blame him for some of the mistakes that he made, the fumbles and the things like that? He had, he had some plays that cost the team some wins. We all look at the, the great plays and we got a lot of love for Calvin, but he did some things to hurt the squad in some uh, key moments. Do you think that's because hindsight's twenty twenty? Do you think, I mean, we can look back now and say, yeah, he was good, but was he that good? Because it's easy now to play devil's advocate. But on that same token, had you not seen this episode of E60, do you think we would even be having this conversation or we would leave him on that pedestal that he was on when he retired? Mm, I think him being on E60 kind of gives uh, the fans a little bit more insight because you, you, we all know it. He didn't talk a whole lot. He kind of was very ultra professional and he was a guy that just kind of kept to himself, shielded himself and was a guy that you really would say, do you know Calvin Johnson better today than I did a week ago? No, I got a little bit more insight regarding his health and what he went through a little bit and maybe some insights into what he thinks about the team. But what, do I, what, I, what I wanted from Calvin Johnson was a little bit more productivity on the field and more results. Help help this team. Be a leader. Do what you can to absolutely. And you know what? Probably he needed to do. He needed to walk his two feet up to management and go blow these guys out. Do something. Say something. Do something to help move along these kind of things. I think if he were to be more vocal with the organization, they would have listened. But I do feel like he kind of took a kind of a minor role and didn't do what he did. And he kind of skated through ten years, and now he's out. And the way he kind of went out was rather meekly not you know he kind of has a a huge stature megatron megatron just doesn't go i'm gonna play and then kind of whimper off into the sunset you know what i mean he kind of goes out with a with a with a with a bam and it just wasn't like that it's more like a whimper so here's my next question for you then the league has been around long enough at this point that we've got players that have been through the full ranks for long enough but now we have the media that will back us and the media that wants to stick a microphone in these players' faces and say, tell me about your time in the league. And we're getting all these interviews that are saying, I beat the hell out of myself on this field. I suffered all these concussions. I have these mental injuries. I have, th- I have this disability. Do you think that based on the fact that we're getting so much publicity and this movie, Concussion, the Concussion movie is a perfect example. Do you think that Americans are going to be afraid of the sport of football and we could see a major shift in events here? Listen, a lot of people are definitely debating this right now. What's the state of football? What are they doing? How is, how is the league treating its number one commodity? By all accounts, people are thinking that uh, 
the NFL doesn't treat its athletes all that well. And I, I guess I would agree with that to some degree. But going into football, you definitely know it's a violent sport. You know that. You're going to go on and, and you're going to play against guys that are out there to try to take your head off. So it's a violent sport. You kind of know that. So to, for these guys that are now coming out, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a money grab as well because you know yourself. You know that if you're dinged up, you know you tell a doctor and be truthful and do what you can to kind of get back on the field and take care of yourself. So what level should the organization do? You know, they should try their absolute best to get you on the field and try their best to care for you. But a lot of guys also don't tell their trainers what they're really feeling because it's inherent that if they don't, then they might be caught, which isn't something that organizations maybe are, we can slight them for, for sure. But I'm a guy that was old school. I like guys that were rugged, that would get on the field and, and do what they had to do because it's football. Is it going to go away? I know we're going to have this talk more and more in five years. You're going to have a lot of young athletes retiring from the age of 27 to 31. So my honest opinion is, though, you should go balls to the wall as much as you can. Try to get as much money as you can and get that ring and get out. But And so that kind of comes back to our initial yeah. conversation for me. You know, as a fan, I want to see that. And it's for the same reason I want to see basketball take that same shift back to the bad boys era where people are blood, sweat, tears, leaving it all out on the court, all out on the football field. As a parent, though, and I know you're a parent, if your child wanted no, to play no. football, hell no. Hell and no. why? Guaranteed contracts. I know that if he plays baseball, if I have a son and he signs a deal, no matter what, he goes outside, he falls down, he's getting a check. In football, once the organization doesn't have need for you, they cut you and you don't get all your money. You can get a lot of money, but you can get a lot more. And you can be, if you're left-handed, you could pitch to your 40, 41. You get way more money. Look at now, I might teach my, my daughters or if I ever have a son to play basketball, try to earn a two-year, $10 million deal averaging three to five points a game. <laughs> you know, so guaranteed money is really important. Is it worth the risk to play football? I don't think so. But if, you, if you're passionate about the sport and you want to do it, go for it. But yeah, it's a... It's something that uh, to play football, you got to be kind of a little bit twisted in the head and be willing to go out there and sacrifice your body. That's what you're doing. Yeah. You got to sacrifice your body. And, and that's why you know that, you know, when you go out there and you, you get your knee drained 12 times, why do you got to come out and talk about it? We know you got to be a warrior. We know you're hurt. Why you got to be out here all crying about how hurt you are? That's kind of what I guess the way I would conceptualize it is. If I was that way, I'd kind of keep that to the private. I would keep that private and be like, "Listen, I played football. I played for the Lions, man. Give me my medal." Sure. <laughs> so, so there's there's that catch twenty two though. As as a father, you would say if you had a son, absolutely not. You're not playing the sport. But if you're crazy enough, go all in, balls to the wall, and make it count, right? Exactly. If you're gonna go play football, I want you to go absolutely dedicate yourself day and night, sleep, eat, sleep drink football. That's all you're about. Make sure you get that ring because that's what it's all about. It's about winning and it's about, you know, making sure you better yourself as a person. And it's about being part of a, a great teammate and a person that you can count on as a leader. That's what I would want. And if, if my son was ever to be a football player, I want him to be kind of like the prototype would be JJ Watt. I want him to be JJ Watt. Yes. Everybody wants to be JJ Watt. Even JJ Watt wants to be JJ Watt. He is the prototype. So I guess to wrap it up then, my biggest takeaway from this is I can look back on Calvin Johnson overall with a good taste in my mouth, but I wish he would do just one more thing to kind of bring me back to the love I have for him because based on what he said about Detroit as an organization, he painted us in a decent light, but towards the end there when he said, ah, we've been winning, I probably would have stuck around. How do you think that the fans should look back on Calvin Johnson's legacy? Yeah, great question. You know what my favorite memory of uh, Calvin Johnson is? Tell me. I already forgot him. <laughs> oh, 
I don't. No. Uh, you know what? Ten years went by, and uh, great. He had touchdowns. He had a bunch of yards. He did a bunch of things, but. Uh, oh no! See you later. You left. That's Megatron. the way you left. Really? I don't. What do you do? He he gave us a bunch of yards, but in the end, here's what you, here's what he did, and the best way I can categorize it. He was somebody that gave you a lot of pleasure when it didn't really count. When it came down to crunch time and it came down to how many playoff wins did you help the team get to, how many Super Bowls did Calvin Johnson go to, hey, he collected a big money, and with big money deals come huge expectations. So it's not unfair for me to say I don't have that much of um, lasting memories of Calvin Johnson. I'm waiting for potentially the new wave of guys to come out and uh, recreate under Bob Quinn, new memories and new superstars, one filled with um, not banners for getting to the postseason, banners for some rings. So that's what I measure him on. And I'm a harsh grader. But in the grand scheme of things, not being harsh, he had above average career. Good, solid take on that, man. I appreciate that. No problem. Anytime, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Great stuff from Doc. I listen to their show. It's on every Thursday on the Doc and Jock show. You can check it out on our platforms, Detroit Sports Podcast, but we've got shows seven days a week. So check them out anywhere podcasts are available. Stitcher, Podomatic, iTunes. Get on it now and subscribe. And hey, if you want to sponsor the show, be a part of the show. All you got to do is head to DetroitSportsPodcast.com. All right. So I'm not sure if anybody else saw this story. Johnny Manziel, the guy's been in and out of trouble. We've all heard the woes. I can't, I can't get it out of my head just because a part of me wants to feel bad for the guy. You know, he seems like he had kind of a weird upbringing. He got thrown into fame right away, pushed into the spotlight, but he's brought a lot of it on himself. So I'm going to go ahead and make fun of the guy because at this point, I feel like he's had the resources to get the help. He's had the opportunities to get the help and he just chooses to ignore it. So Johnny Manziel jerseys. I'm not sure if you saw this article. I pulled it from BroBible.com. My buddy Nick Domingo actually wrote it. The Cleveland Browns are selling these Johnny Manziel jerseys for $1.99 a piece. What? Yeah, $1.99 a piece. As much as you can buy a cheeseburger for at McDonald's, you can buy a Johnny Manziel jersey. Now, I thought this was hilarious, and it got me thinking about things that I would rather spend $1.99 on than a Johnny Manziel jersey. So I took to social media, and I asked all of you, what would you rather spend your $1.99 on than a Johnny Manziel jersey? And so many of you chimed in. So I'm going to read some of my favorites here, if you don't mind. Jason at purple underscore in underscore orange on Twitter said he would rather buy tacos, a Monster Ultra, or a 40 ounce of Mickey's with his $1.99. What the hell is that about? I know it. Beerview barbecue legend would rather buy a coffee enema than a Johnny Manziel jersey. Oh, no. How about Jay Andres on Twitter who said he'd rather buy Mexican mangoes. They're four for a dollar and then it'll still have change afterwards. Dollar tacos, two dollar tacos. People are wanting to stock up on the tacos, but a Wendy Junior Bacon Double Cheeseburger with gum and stamps. Now, listen, I've got so many responses. I'm going to post the screenshots on my my Twitter page. You can go ahead and follow that at the First Lady Show. But my biggest takeaway here is when we look at the league of football and we look at guys like Johnny Manziel, we look at the guys like Calvin Johnson, who we talked about, come away from this league and make themselves look like complete asses. I feel like they kind of deserve to have their jerseys go for $1.99. So I promised it in the beginning. I'm going to hit it a little bit. We're going to hit a couple stories. It's called, Oh No, He Didn't. And this segment is going to be nothing but fun because we're going to go into these stories that have broken throughout the week that are going to make you laugh and go, Oh No, He Didn't. 
And my first guy, Denard Robinson. You may know him, Michigan fans, as shoelaces. And over the 4th of July weekend, he decided he was going to take a little stroll in his car with his buddies at 4 a.m. and park it in a lake. That's right. Law enforcement found this guy, windows rolled down, in a pond, sleeping. And when law enforcement knocked on his window, he proceeded to tell officers that he was just sleeping in his car, still on the road. Couldn't really explain where he was. Couldn't explain what was going on. But hey, no DUI arrest, no suspicion. That's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I don't understand why these guys continue to get away with these things other than maybe preferential treatment because they're athletes. But at the end of the day, I just feel like something's got to be done and somebody's got to be held accountable. But the fact that the dude parked his car in a lake on 4th of July weekend, oh no, he didn't. My next story, there's a minor league soccer goalie and this one totally floored me because I didn't even really pay attention to soccer, period. If I'm being fully, completely honest with you, pull back the curtains a little bit. It's a sport I know the least about, but what I do know is it's hard as hell to get a ball down down the field, period. This goalie from the football club of Wichita, the goalkeeper's name is Mark Weird. That's his real name, Mark Weird. Mark Weird nailed a 110-yard goal from the net to win the game for his team. Now, first of all, I've played soccer in my day. I said it's a sport in the least about I played the sport. It's the one sport I played for several years. And the bottom line is I was a defenseman, defense woman, however you want to define that. I know how hard it is to get a ball down the field. So for all of those people who were out there could have blocked the shot for him to have the power to get that down there. Oh, no, he didn't. That blows my freaking mind. And my last one for the day, and I might even call him my douche organization of the week, if you will. The Dallas Mavericks literally handcuffed themselves to Harrison Barnes to ensure that they signed his deal. I mean, I don't know if it's legal. I don't know if it's allowed, but they took a picture of him with his signed contract with his handcuffs on one hand and the management on the other hand attached by these handcuffs. And I'm sitting here going, why? Why is Harrison Barnes really happy? Or is this a sort of Stockholm syndrome kind of thing we're looking at here? Because I just can't understand why they would think that this was funny. I mean, it's all over social media. People are reacting to it. Caption this kind of photos. But at the end of the day, Dallas Mavericks, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, my God. So that's what I got for you guys this week. I'm so happy I got to dust off the cobwebs here in Detroit. I'm so happy to be back behind the microphone. And above all, I'm so happy that I got to interact with you guys, the fans, and that we have so much more to look forward to in the future. So don't forget, Follow us on Twitter at Detroit Podcast, myself personally, Detroit Jenna, or the podcast page, First Lady Show. We'll check back in with you guys next week. Thanks again. Oh, no, he didn't.